electric trucks moving beyond the pilot stage. I'm Jim Park and this is HTT Talks Trucking, Season 8, Episode Number 2. The North American Council for Freight Efficiency, or NACFI, recently wrapped up its first in-field demonstration project of electric trucks run on less electric. Among the group's preliminary conclusions was that right now, today, more than 5 million trucks could be converted from conventional power to electric. Most of the trucks in that tally would be medium-duty vehicles, last-mile delivery vans, food service trucks, etc., anything in the Class 4-6 to six range that runs fairly predictable routes. That's the market Jim Castellez, the Chief Technology Officer and founder of Motive Power Systems, has focused on for the past 12 years. The Motive fleet already has more than a million miles under its collective belt. In this episode, Jim and I talk about what it takes to bring a fleet through a pilot project and grow it to a full-service, fully-functioning electric fleet. He says it's about much more than just replacing the trucks. My conversation with Jim Castellez begins right after this. Since you're already a fan of podcasts, I invite you to check out some of Bobbitt Business Media's other fleet-related online content. Our other three fleet publications cover work trucks, automotive fleets, and transit and motor coach fleets. Those sectors are confronting many of the same disruptive influences we are here in the heavy-duty side. I'm sure you'll find we have a lot in common. You can find them easily on the Bobbitt Business Media website at bobbittbusinessmedia.com. We're speaking with Jim Castellaz. He's the CTO and founder of Motive Power Systems. Uh, Jim, welcome to HGT Talks Trucking. Thank you very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Let's start with a little bit of an introduction on the company and and who you are and how uh, Motive Power Systems came to be and what you're up to. Sure. So I founded Motive Power Systems about 12 years ago with our vision to free fleets from fossil fuel. Uh, We realized that now and then, you know, maybe a little bit less now, fleets were completely dependent on fossil fuel for moving people and goods and, you know, whatever jobs they needed to do to meet their customers' needs. They had this complete dependence on fossil fuel, and, and we thought that there was a real opportunity to uh, you know, kind of give them some energy independence and enable them to kind of improve their operations. And we found that electric is a really great way to do that for many fleets. Our focus are on medium-duty fleets, so the vehicles we electrify are larger than passenger cars but smaller than you know, your typical over-the-road Class 8. Um, we focus uh, primarily on... the people and goods movement, local duty people and goods movers. Well, that's that's going to be the vanguard of uh, electric trucks for, the, I think, the first four or five years of the evolution uh, because they're easier to electrify. Uh, there's more of them, and the, uh, the technology is sort of already there. Yeah, there are two big benefits uh, with that type of vehicle and that type of mission and, and use profile. The, the first is that typically medium-duty vehicles return to the same depot every night. So you have an opportunity for charge infrastructure right there, wherever the vehicle is domiciled. And secondly, most of these vehicles tend to do planned routes. And so as long as you know what your route is, uh, you can make sure that you plan to have uh, enough battery charge to complete your day. All right. So let's dive into this process then, Jim. If I want, if I was a fleet owner and I wanted to uh, electrify my fleet, I was going to go to Motive Power Systems to do it. Uh, what happens next? What's the sort of the first stages of the process? I think once a fleet has kind of developed this initial interest in electric, um, you know, there are 
Well, we usually group kind of eight considerations for fleets on going electric. Um, and they start with some basic analysis and education, right? And so as fleets are looking for electric out there, they should familiarize themselves with what types of electric vehicles are available. Um, Motive offers a variety of medium-duty electric trucks and buses. Um, so you could always look at Motive's website, motiveps.com, um, or you can use some of these tools. The, um, uh, the, the Zero Emission Truck Initiative, ZETI, uh, has a great truck survey tool online that shows all available electric uh, truck and bus options. The California Hybrid and Electric Voucher Incentive Program uh, is another great website uh, to look for options. Um, and so once a fleet is, you know, kind of figured out that maybe what they want is a medium-duty truck or bus, which is primarily what, what Motive offers, um, you know, then I, I think it's worth thinking a little bit through uh, how you could effectively use these electric trucks in your fleet. And so um, a lot of times we start with looking at how you're using vehicles today. So what are your routes and usage patterns? Um, electrification is really great for uh, vehicles that have lots of stops, uh, have low average speeds, low to medium average speeds through their route. Some highway driving is just fine, but if your vehicle is just on the highway for the whole day, um, you, you know, you might run into range concerns um, going electric. Uh, but a lot of uh, local people and goods movement applications tend to be great. Also, um, it's great when vehicles are used consistently every day, right? And so identifying vehicles that will be used every day, you know, at least 30 miles and no more than 100 miles every day, uh, you know, those are going to be your candidates that are ripe for electrification with today's technology. In the near future, that top range might be more like 150 miles or 200 miles instead of 100 miles like today. Um, so that's kind of step one is identifying the vehicles and the routes, right? And then I think uh, you also want to identify the depots. Where are those vehicles domiciled? Uh, typically, most of these medium-duty vehicles spend eight-plus hours out of a 24-hour day sitting somewhere, uh, not being used, essentially. Or maybe they're being loaded or unloaded, but the vehicle is stationary at some sort of a depot um, or other vehicle storage location. And, um, and that's going to be important for electric because that's going to be your candidate for charge sites, right? So the, the most efficient and inexpensive way to charge a vehicle is to leave it plugged in for an extended period of time, such as overnight. Right? And so we want to identify those locations where these vehicles are based. Um, and with those two pieces of information in hand, uh, fleets are welcome to use a program like Motive's Quick Start program, where we're able to very quickly come in and uh, quote you the full kind of uh, system uh, level cost for piloting some electric trucks. Right? And so many, many fleets wisely, I think, uh, want to pilot this new technology before um, you know, before kind of rolling it out across their entire fleet. And I think that that's a good idea because there's a bit of a paradigm shift moving to electric, uh, right? This vehicle is going to be very simple mechanically, have very little maintenance, but it's got software in it, right? And it needs to be plugged in every night. Um, and it has very fast acceleration and regenerative braking. And, you know, there are other kind of uh, paradigm shifts. And so we find that pilots uh, are a great way for fleets to experience for themselves the benefits of electric, um, and try the new technology. And so if, if you're armed with some knowledge about how you're using your vehicles and where they're being domiciled every night, uh, then we can typically work with you to come up with a, with a pilot. And you know, maybe it's two to five uh, vehicles, kind of a, a good initial pilot. Typically that can be done without major 
facility upgrades. Uh, we can use the power available um, and we can get those vehicles quickly to you and on the road so that you can start uh, experiencing what they do for your operations, right? And then I think once that's proven successful, then we have, we have a whole process to look at how to kind of go beyond that pilot. I'm happy to kind of talk to that, but may, may, maybe I'll pause um, there just to kind of, uh, you know, see if you have any questions on that part. Well, one of the questions that comes to mind right away is sorting out which of the trucks or which of the routes maybe are best suited to electrification. So we talked about range, uh, how far they run in a day and whether it's going to be, you know, within that range window for your batteries. Uh, what about payload and other factors? Uh, that's all taken into account, I'm sure, before you decide on a chassis for the operation? Yeah, great question. So, um, yeah, b besides range, you want to look at kind of what, what vehicle is doing the job today and how much payload do you need, both in terms of weight and volume, um, and to determine your vehicle class. Uh, you know, and you might have an opportunity to uh, when you move to electric, go with a slightly different vehicle design that's, you know, maybe optimized in different ways for, for the routes. Um, but a, a, lot of our, uh, a lot of our fleets deploy very similar types of vehicles um, when it comes to body style from electric versus internal combustion. So if they're using uh, an 18-foot step-in van, uh, you know, with the 19,500 pounds GVWR to deliver linens, say, um, you know, then... then they'll probably wind up using an 18-foot step-in van, and, but maybe the GVWR is 22,000 pounds instead of 19.5 um, because in the linen business, uh, the weight really matters a lot. Wet linens are very heavy. They maybe need 6,000 pounds of, uh, of, of payload there, and, and so maybe the GVWR increases a little bit. Um, there might also be reasons based on incentives that are available um, you know, where vehicles uh, in certain weight classes maybe get more incentives. And, um, and it's worth looking into kind of what are the local incentives to go electric, because especially for initial electric deployments, uh, California and many other states offer fleets incentives that kind of reduce their upfront cost commitment to trying out electric. Okay, so what comes first then, the, <laughs> the trucks or the infrastructure? When you're going out looking to do a, a plan like this, um, no point in buying a whole bunch of trucks if you've got nowhere to plug them in. So you've probably got some planning uh, ahead of you to get the electrical infrastructure into your, your terminal. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and we have had situations where the electrical infrastructure, uh, you know, maybe takes longer than the truck, actually. Um, but I think one thing that we've learned is that uh, we've been able to apply a lot of the expertise that we've gained helping fleets uh, over the years uh, when new fleets are looking at going electric, uh, we now have a, have a process to, to, to do both at once, right? To help them identify what are the trucks that are going to meet their needs. And once they know their trucks, then help them identify the infrastructure. And actually, Motive now provides uh, infrastructure along with our trucks. And the advantage to the fleets is that you really have, have one, uh, one kind of responsible party. I would say the most common problem with the electric trucks are that they're not charging, right? The truck isn't charging. And, and that's a bit of a conundrum for a fleet if the charge infrastructure and the trucks are provided by different companies because they have to kind of figure out who to call, right, like w uh, when this happens. And so, uh, you know, one thing that Motive now offers our customers is we'll take care of the whole thing. So once you know that the trucks are going to work in your route, infrastructure should not be an additional hurdle, right? You shouldn't have to become an expert 
and electric vehicle infrastructure just to deploy the trucks. Um, and that was the, the state of the industry. And I would say uh, it's not so much anymore. We're, we're able to come in and, and, and make sure that we right-size the infrastructure. Another thing that we saw happen a lot in early days is uh, overbuilt infrastructure. Just because the truck can charge at 20 kilowatts does not mean that you want to install 20 kilowatts of charging capability for all 30 of the trucks you're deploying at a depot, right? That would be a 600 kilowatt increase in power coming into the building, and that would certainly take a year plus in many regions in the U.S. based on uh, utilities and um, you know the length of time that these upgrades can take. But um, you know, it's 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 actually not not really needed to have that much infrastructure. It really is a function of how you use the trucks. So the infrastructure should not be sized just based on the charger capability, but actually be sized based on the average daily mileage and the number of hours that the truck has to charge. Uh, and that ensures that the infrastructure is right-sized. And uh, we found in many cases the cost difference between right-sizing the infrastructure and just building the infrastructure to capacity of truck charging um, you know, that can be a 5x reduction in infrastructure. You know, you might only be paying 20% as much on infrastructure costs versus if you, if you kind of did it without proper sizing. And so, you know, I think uh, a key to successful deployment of electric trucks is making sure that you have that expertise to, to tie the infrastructure and the trucks together in a system that's been optimized, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, once you sort of understand how all this electrification works, it makes a lot of sense. But uh, one of the questions I, I've had for a long time, uh, other people that I've talked about in similar positions to you, uh, if you're a fleet determined to go this alone <laughs> and not engage the services of a company like Motive Power or some other kind of a consultant, what kind of a process are you facing? You have to deal with the utility companies, you'd have to deal with uh, landscapers, architects, uh, putting all this into your facility. Uh, how much of a challenge is that compared to doing it in a turnkey situation like you offer? Yeah, I would say nobody does this alone, right? I mean, because at a minimum, you're going to be buying the hardware from someone. Uh, you're going to be buying the trucks from someone. You're going to be buying the charge stations from someone. And, and, and my guess is you're going to have, you know, maybe you have an on-site certified electrician that can do the installation um, you know, but at a minimum, you've got a utility that you've got to work with. Um, it's a complex process. Uh, it doesn't have to be for the first pilot. If you're just putting in two to five trucks, it's oftentimes very simple uh, to, to get that up and running. But if you want to deploy 30 trucks at a depot, um, it's construction. It's a, it's a project that needs to be managed. And so I would say to a fleet, you know, even if you're, you're going to do this on your own, someone needs to manage that project. Um, right. And so that's either got to be, you know, someone in in your company or someone externally. Um, and and I think I would find someone to manage that project who's done it before, um, who who knows how to do it right, uh, because it's not obvious just looking at the specifications of the truck and the charge station, um, sizing that project and doing it right is not obvious. I mean, you really need a knowledge of how these vehicles are going to be used and how much energy, not just power, but energy, right, the vehicles are going to need, and right, and the total amount of energy and the charge dwell time factor into how you size the power, right, you can't size the power without that knowledge, and so, you know, I'd say finding someone who's experienced on this uh, and, and, and kind of understands how to right size it is, is, is going to be important, um, and that's experience not just in the charge stations, 
but in how the vehicles are used and how much energy they're going to consume on the route. Because um, what, what you don't want to have is separately optimize the charge station and the vehicles because you wind up overpaying, basically. You wind up with more infrastructure than you need, which we've seen happen to our customers before. So I think just... Um, you know, if if it's not a, a turnkey provider like Motive providing the whole system, then just make sure that someone is thinking through the system level trade-offs and optimizations, someone who's done it before. Well, if you do plan to expand the operation at some point, you start out with half a dozen trucks on a pilot project. How much of a challenge is it to go from half a dozen, say, to 50 in terms of the infrastructure and the yard planning and all that stuff you just talked about in terms of utilization and everything else? That's got to be a real challenge. Yeah, it can be. I, I, I would say it, it depends a lot on, on how the vehicles are, are used. Um, if you have 50 trucks, like, so one of our customers has, has depots where they do domicile 50 trucks, and they've looked at taking all 50 electric, and those trucks all have different uh, lengths of routes that they do every day, but what's actually important is the total mileage done by all 50. Um, or if you have the average mileage of the average truck, then you multiply that by 50, you get the total miles, right? And if you know the total miles of all those trucks and you know how many hours they're going to be charging, it's very easy to figure out the size of the, of the building power feed. And so in that case, we needed a 200 kilowatt building power feed. And, you know, 200 kilowatts now, if you just install charge stations that can do the max capacity of a truck, that's only 10 charge stations, right? But you have 50 trucks there, so you install the, the right-sized infrastructure is 50 charge stations. Each one of them can deliver 20 kilowatts, but... Uh, they can't all deliver 20 kilowatts at the same time, and they also don't need to, right? And so if you're looking at that particular depot with the, this customer that, that was actually looking at 50 trucks, um, you find that a 200 kilowatt service upgrade, um, it's not peanuts, uh, but it's also not the same as putting a megawatt of power into a building. And I think sometimes people just multiply the truck capacities and, they, and the, the numbers... Uh, grow artificially big too quickly. So, at, you know, at 200 kilowatts, you're going to have to work with your utility and maybe you need a new transformer. Um, you know, and maybe that does take nine to 12 months, um, but uh, you're not going to run a new transmission line for 200 kilowatts or anything like that, right? So, um, you know, so there is certainly work, but what we find is that while fleets are running a pilot and learning about electric, um, then they can also do that work to right size and get the quotes. Um, and, you know, and, and, and as they're building if they're ordering 50 electric trucks, it's going to take some time to deliver those. They're not all going to be delivered at once. Um, and oftentimes they can put, deploy more trucks on their current infrastructure. And then by the time that they're getting truck number 21, 22, um, they've got the infrastructure upgraded. I'm speaking with Jim Castellez, the Chief Technology Officer and founder of Motive Power Systems. When we come back, we'll look at the business case for battery electric trucks and see what Motive has learned about electric trucking over the past 12 years. I'm Jim Park. This is HTT Talks Trucking. We'll be right back. HTT will premiere a new video feature in 2022 called Short Hauls. It's a combined video and audio podcast. We'll be connecting with industry leaders to present digestible 10-minute videos and full-length audio podcasts that dive deeper into the subject matter. And don't forget to check out some of Bobbitt's other video and podcast products, The State of the Fleet Industry by Mike Antich and Lauren Fletcher's Truck Chat. They're all on your favorite podcast platforms, and they're easy to find on the Bobbitt Business Media website. It's at bobbittbusinessmedia.com. Hi, 
let's talk a bit about the business case then for this. How does uh, electrification pencil out against uh, running a internal combustion engine fleet? Yes, the business case is, is, is really important, right? Because I think a lot of fleets uh, want to be green, but they, they also uh, they need to make money or at least not lose money by going green. And so what we find is that typically by going electric, fleets are paying more for the vehicles, but then ultimately their operating costs are lower, both fuel and maintenance. And so how this actually works out is over a vehicle's 7 to 10 to 12 to 15-year life, um, the total cost of ownership of an electric vehicle is less uh, even though they're paying more for the vehicle up front. And so, uh, you know, I think some fleets can use leasing. And, uh, you know, if, the, if, if it's about kind of the cost of capital, then they can build that into the model. Um, and, you know, other fleets maybe uh, have an internal rate of return where they're able to, um, you know, to kind of pencil in the economics there. Um, but generally speaking, today, electric trucks are a good bit more expensive, um, but the price is coming down quickly. And so, you know, today, uh, incentive programs like California's voucher program, for example, and New York has a similar one, um, uh, are an important element to making the initial economics for pilot vehicles work. Uh, but I think once fleets see that pilot vehicles work and they're willing to, uh, you know, commit to longer lease terms, um, you know, or a payback or total cost of operations over a longer period of time, um, then I think that we're, we're kind of nearing the point as the industry where we're going to be able to operate without incentives in the future for these electric trucks. But today, I would say incentives still play an important role in getting vehicles on the road. Does it usually push a change in the way uh, or, or their cost of doing business that they can't pass on to a customer? Or is it manageable? Well, I would say that it depends a little bit on kind of how they do their business and maybe they're able to pass on the cost. We certainly have had customers who um, have deployed electric trucks at the behest of their end users. Um, you know, so linen delivery companies and other uh, goods and services providers maybe have end user customers who are either requiring or willing to pay more for uh, zero emission, clean electric uh, delivery or service options. Um, and, and in other applications, I would say it's uh, maybe due to sustainability mandates, they're able to take a slightly longer time horizon to the return on their capital versus maybe what they could otherwise do. And, you know, and, and instead of a, you know, a three year payback, they can accept a five to seven year payback, um, knowing that the trucks will have a lower total cost of ownership over time. Um, but, you know, maybe that initial capital investment takes a little bit of time to pay back. Um, but the sustainability be uh, uh, benefits kind of enable them to make that trade-off. Well, in a place like California and New York, as you say, where there's lots of uh, incentives and, and subsidies available, uh, does this pencil out in a place where those subsidies aren't as readily available? Yeah, I would say it depends a little bit on the, um, on the geographic location, and certainly subsidies help quite a bit. Um, in places without any subsidies, uh, it can pencil out if the fleets are willing to kind of accept a longer payback period because they will be paying more for the trucks up front. Uh, you know, but over time, the fuel savings and, and just the, uh, uh, the fact that they have much more certainty in how much fuel is going to cost them, right? There's, they're eliminating uh, that kind of operational risk of fuel fluctuation, and oftentimes that allows fleets to take a longer time horizon to payback. So I, I would say today, incentive markets uh, make this really easy. And in non-incentive markets, uh, if fleets have a long enough time horizon, 
in how they look at payback period, then they can make electric work as well. Let's look at the cost of electricity then. We hear, at least I hear, uh, when you're charging your trucks at night, you're paying off peak hour rates, or if you charge during the day, you get stung with the peak hour time rates. Do you negotiate long-term supply contracts with the utilities, or is that something that the customer has to deal with on their own? Yeah, so generally utilities um, operate with rate tariffs, right? And so many of our customers are on commercial rate schedules with the utilities already, and the electric vehicles may not impact their rate schedules at all, or uh, certain utilities, they may qualify for a new rate schedule. Sometimes there are rate schedules specific for charging of electric vehicles, for example. Um, and so we want to work with the customer to understand, are they on the right rate schedule or should they be looking at alternative rate schedules with the utility? Um, but you did point out a very valid point, which is charging the vehicles during off-peak hours is important and is, is usually something that fleets can do. Typically, most fleets, the vehicles have a long dwell time where they're sitting stationary at a depot overnight and so they can begin charging as the power comes off peak at you know typically 9 p.m maybe later in some regions um, and they can charge overnight and be fully charged in the morning um, what fleets want to avoid is charging the vehicles as soon as they return to base if indeed they're returning to base you know after 2 to 4 p.m. in the afternoon, say, because typically electricity is most expensive, kind of 4 to 9 p.m., and so that would not be the best time to charge an electric vehicle. You could you could be paying uh, two to three times as much to charge the vehicle. And so instead of spending, you know, 6 to $8 to charge a vehicle, um, you know, you could, you could be spending, you know, 12 to $20 to charge the same vehicle for the same electricity. <laughs> Ouch. That's going to hurt. <laughs> Well, it's still, it's still a lot less than, you know, refueling it. It is. It's a lot less but, than a tank full of gas. Time, yeah, over time, right, that can that can make a big difference. Yeah. What what sort of charging times are you looking at for a vehicle like that? This is, you know, a class 5, class 4 vehicle, uh, 20 kilowatts. What sort of charging times? Can you, what I'm getting at is can you stagger those trucks over the course of a night from, say, uh, 9 p.m. to 6 a.m.? So they're all charging fully, but still within that time frame? Um, so trucks can be charged faster. You can charge our trucks in as little as two hours using DC fast charging. But that is more, um, it's kind of more wear and tear on the batteries. You create more heat. Yeah, right? it's so not a what, great idea. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even with passenger cars, right, the, the manufacturers recommend to do that as little as possible because it, it um, batteries age more quickly. The best way to charge vehicles is to use as much time as you've got. So if, if you've got uh, eight hours to charge vehicles or, you know, let's say from, uh, you know, from 9 p.m. until 5 a.m., that'd be a great time to charge vehicles. Um, have all of your vehicles. It, it, it's it's more efficient, better for the batteries and lower cost to plug in all of your vehicles for all eight hours. Plug them all in when you get there and unplug them all when they're ready to go around 5 a.m. Um, versus this idea of cycling through. So the reason why you don't want to cycle through is because if you have a fixed amount of power coming into the building, say 200 kilowatts, um, and you want to charge, uh, you know, 20 trucks, right? You could, you could charge each one at 10 kilowatts for the whole night, for the whole eight hours and get 80 kilowatt hours into every vehicle. Um, or you could charge... Uh, you know, you, you could you could pick ten of those twenty vehicles and charge them for four hours at the full power, twenty kilowatts, 
and then switch over and charge the other 10 vehicles uh, you know, for the next uh, four hours right, at 20 kilowatts. And all your vehicles you know, at 5 a.m., all your vehicles still have the 80 kilowatt hours. You've, you've moved the same amount of energy into the vehicles, but you've actually created twice as much heat and loss doing that second way versus the first. Right? And that's because the heating goes as the square of current. So if you cut your charge time in half, you, you generate four times as much heat. Now you only generate it for half as long, but you still end up generating a total of twice as much heat. And so what you actually want to do to maximize the efficiency and to minimize your cost is to keep all the vehicles plugged in. And this also avoids the need to have like a runner in the middle of the night or to switch over which vehicles are on charge stations. So sometimes we see customers who want to have a couple DC fast charge stations and rotate all their vehicles through. And I, I want to explain to them that that is going to prematurely age their vehicles and it's a more expensive solution, right? So it's really kind of a lose-lose. So if you have the opportunity to keep all your vehicles plugged in overnight, just do that because it's the most efficient and cost-effective way to charge. Sounds like you've learned a lot about this process since you started. <laughs> One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, now's a good time to do it. What are some of the hurdles that you uncovered as you were diving into this that maybe you didn't know of before we started uh, and have since overcome? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think right-sizing the infrastructure is, is a big deal, um, you know, that we've kind of talked about, making sure you don't overbuild the infrastructure. That's been a major lesson learned and has actually helped us shape how we actually envision the depot of the future, right? And so the, the, the depot of the future we see as, you know, we were talking about earlier, that 50-truck depot where all of the trucks can be electric, um, the infrastructure is right-sized, and not only is the infrastructure right-sized, but when the trucks aren't there, when they're out doing your, their work, you're using that infrastructure for something else. So you're using that basically, you know, kind of conduit of power to the utility. You're, you're using it for maybe solar or uh, stationary storage. And, and so I think getting, looking at the vehicles as a piece of a system is a really big lesson learned for us, right? It's not just a vehicle on its own. It's actually part of this electrical system. And um, with that mindset, the vehicle actually becomes an asset, not just when it's rolling, but when it's stationary as well, uh, right? And so I think that we're going to see um, these fleets that have a lot of vehicles actually be able to monetize the vehicles when they're stationary and using them for grid support operations yep. in conjunction with solar and stationary storage. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, you know, some other lessons learned are just about setting expectations and doing, um, staying close to the customers and um, doing driver training and, you know, kind of simple steps uh, that, you know, to us as an EV manufacturer seem really basic, uh, but are actually really important for fleets to just gain comfort with these vehicles. Um, so, you know, the occasional ride along, the vehicle walk arounds, um, you know, doing a, a thorough training program about pre and post trip inspections and what to do in an emergency and, you know, what all the telltales on the dash mean, um, you know, and maybe it's actually no more than just uh, everything that's contained in the owner's manual, but just having a session where drivers can ask their questions and just get comfortable with the new technology has really been key, um, we've found, to successful deployments because once the drivers are comfortable with the truck and they're willing to give it a chance and try it, um, we find that almost invariably they don't want to get out. They don't want to go back to an internal combustion vehicle. Um, the, the experience of driving electric is just so much better uh, for those drivers um, that they become the biggest advocates towards electrification. 
I've heard that before from a lot of places who've gone through this startup experience that once the drivers uh, get to feel and experience those trucks, they just don't want to go back. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it is. I think it's important that we take care of the, the drivers, right? And regenerative braking to minimize back and knee issues, uh, no diesel emissions. So we're not looking at all the negative, you know, dramatically negative, sometimes, uh, you know, chronic uh, life-changing impacts of, uh, you know, diesel exhaust exposure, um, you know, and just having that quieter work environment. I, there are a lot of benefits. Actually, we, we've heard from fleets that um, moving to electric is is actually a way to recruit and retain drivers, people who maybe hadn't considered a career in driving. Uh, you know, if they find out that it's an electric truck, might be a lot more interested. Once the heavy duty industry gets word of that, we'll be all over it, I'm sure. We've got our retention <laughs> problems. Uh, one more question, I guess, before we go. Uh, how long do you think it'll be before we start to see electrification proceeding at scale? You know, you know large enough numbers to really make a difference. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's one I've been asking, um, you know, myself and the Motive team for 12 years now. Um, and I, I think when I when I look into the industry, I see a few really interesting uh, kind of signs of inflection point. One is how many happy customers we have who have done pilots and the pilots have worked well and now are placing larger orders for, you know, vehicles on scale in the hundreds, right? And so I, I think that that's um, you know, that that's a really, uh, really great sign that these vehicles, the initial kinks have kind of been worked out and the, um, you know, the, the cutting edge isn't as much the bleeding edge anymore. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I see is regulations pushing this, right? In California with their advanced clean trucks regulation uh, that requires a certain percentage of these medium duty vehicles to be electric um, by 2024 and up to 75% by 2030 for new sales. And, you know, they've indicated that they'll be doing an accompanying regulation requiring fleets to to have a certain percent of their fleet be electric. And so we're seeing that the regulations are driving this um, and the vehicles are ready. Right. And so, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the automotive industry has suffered a lot of supply chain blows this year. Um, but as we recover from that, I think the recovery and the electrification in passenger car and a medium duty truck um, is going to be uh, present us with a, with a commercial vehicle and automotive industry that looks a lot different than it did, uh, you know, even two years ago. And so I'm pretty excited about that because I, I think that we'll see, we'll see real electrification in the medium duty segment, um, you know, rolling out at scale in, you know, the next couple of years, I would estimate. Well, that's great news. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, <clears throat> Jim, thanks for uh, all those insights and, and shedding some light on this for us. It was, uh, it was a great interview. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk with you, Jim. Uh, I appreciate the, the time and the interest in electric. Thanks for supporting HTT Talks Trucking for these past two years. We've got more great audio and video content coming your way in 2022, including a new video podcast series called Short Hauls. We combine that with HTT Talks Trucking to give you more ways to access this great content. Check out Short Hauls featuring all the HTT editors beginning in January. If there's something you'd like us to cover on the podcast, please email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word on social media and take a moment to rate us on iTunes and leave a review. We love doing the show and your feedback helps us make every show that much better. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. As always, thanks for joining us today. <laughs>